Welcome to another inspiring message recorded at Rivers Church. So as we go to the message, um, like I said, I'm the youth pastor, take care of youth, married, I've been married, I said accidentally eight months in the first service, but it's actually nine. Um, somebody said, wow, yeah, I know. And um, my wife's great, uh, her name's Candice. And being married, you learn a lot about yourself, especially if the person you're married to is like completely opposite to you. Let me explain. I like old classic sports cars, like old Porsches. Candace likes new cars because she says, why drive an old car? I like sushi, particularly salmon sushi. Can anybody? Sashimi, thinly cut, some soy sauce, low sodium, because we're healthy. Candace is like, can't they cook the fish? I mean, I can't argue with that, actually. And there's a lot of things that we differ on, but the one thing that we struggle with is temperature. You see, I like to be cold. So if I jump in my car, the first thing I do is I put the aircon on the lowest possible setting, whereas my wife will put it on the highest possible setting, even in summer, because it's cold at night. And the reason I'm telling you this is because of these differences, we end up having some, I don't want to say arguments, we just call them a difference of opinion. <laughs> and one day I got really heated, because I said, I think, summer's be- I, mean, I think winter's better than summer. And she looked at me like I said something wrong. How, how many would you agree that winter is far better than summer? You think summer's better than winter? Well, we are greatly outnumbered. I hope you were encouraged. Cheers, church. No, I'm kidding. So we're having this argument. And here's my logic. It's like, you see, I was like, babe, I- in winter, if I'm cold, you know what I can do is I can put another layer on and then a layer over that. Also, people just dress better in winter. I don't understand shorts. Why am I paying the same price for half the material? We're here to speak truth, right? And then in summer, if you get hot, there's only so much you can do that's considered appropriate. There's only so many layers you can lose before it becomes inappropriate. Someone's like, tell Instagram that. I know. So we're having this argument, but marriage is not about winning. It's about compromise sometimes. So I was trying to see her point of view, and I said, you know what? I understand. I like summer too because it rains. She kind of looked at me, and she says, what do you mean? I said, well, I love the rain. I love the sound of rain. I love the smell of rain. You know, I remember when I was a kid, and you could hear a thunderstorm coming. It used to be exciting because you could smell the rain before you see it. Anybody? And I love the rain, and rain's great, except too much of rain is a bad thing. Because too much of a good thing is a bad thing. And... Living in Johannesburg, as we know, as we head into spring and summer, it's considered what we call the flood season. Anybody who's ever been late for the airport in summer when it's raining knows exactly what I mean. Roads get flooded, houses get flooded, because there's an excess of rain. And we can do as much as we can to prepare for the flood, but it doesn't stop the flood from happening. And I realize that as we enter this flood season um, weather-wise as a country, we also might be in an emotional flooding season. There's a there's a flood of bad news on the radio and on the TV. And it floods into our lives. And what ends up happening, we can become overwhelmed. Anxiety rises. Depression rises. Stress levels rise. And before we know it, we're in the middle of a flood. And see, if you feel like that, take heart because God gives us the answer in the Bible. Because God knew this was going to happen. You see, the thing we have to understand about the Bible is it's not a book. It's not on the shelf next to like Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, whatever other people read. 
it's not just a book on the show. Oh, there's Malcolm Gladwell and there's, oh, there's Jesus. It's, no, no, you see, God's word is his living word, which means it's living and breathing. What you've got to understand is God operates outside of time. So if God stands outside of time, he could have written thousands of years ago what you and I need to hear today. You see, and that's why the story of Noah is important because it gives us a guide of what to do when the flood happens. You see, Noah was a man, much like you and I, or a woman. Noah wasn't a woman. I mean, if man being mankind. And he lived at a time where God was going to cause some flooding. The story of Noah is found in Genesis 6 through to 9. Now, the Sunday school version of the story is, you know the picture of like Noah with like his beard and he's smiling. And there's like a lion and then a giraffe and a zebra. I'm like, they took like four animals on the ark. And it, anybody know that like typical Sunday school depiction of Noah? Unless you watch the movie Noah and then you were very confused. All right, that's not biblically accurate. Can I just, it's not biblically accurate. There's poetic license and then there's that. So then where's the truth of the story of Noah? Well, here it is. It's, the ark wasn't a weekend ship. It wasn't like, oh, let's just go on the lake on the weekend. The ark was 137 meters long. It had a capacity of 9,530 meters squared. Anybody would like a house that big? That would be amazing. It weighed up to 14,000 tons, and it took, over, it took approximately 100 years to build, most scholars say, if not over that. Now, when we read that, we, it puts it into perspective for us. It was a big ship. It may not be the biggest ship of all time, but scientists say it's probably the biggest wooden ship that ever existed. Notice how I said existed. Because the other misconception is that the story of Noah is a story, that it's fiction, but it's not. You see, because when Jesus was on the earth, he referred to Noah as a man that lived and he built an ark and he was faithful. In the New Testament, we read of Noah, and in Chinese culture, we, see, we can see Noah. Some of you are like, what? Take a look at the screen. That is the word for large boats or ship in Chinese. I have a Chinese friend, so I phoned him. I said, hello. Why are you laughing? What did you think I was going to say? <laughs> you people. So, I said, is this true? And I sent him, what, I sent him the picture on the right. And his response was this. He goes, yeah, that's, that is Chinese, and um, it's because of Noah. And I said, excuse me? He says, yeah, that's because of the story of Noah. That's why the word for vessel or for ship is that. It's because there were eight people in the ark. It was Noah, his wife, his three kids, and their wives. And there were eight people to feed in a vessel. And he says that's where the Chinese get the word boat or ship from. It's pretty fascinating, hey? You read throughout history, you'll see that the story of Noah wasn't fictional, but it actually happened. So if it actually happened, we could learn from the story of Noah. And there's a scripture that we're going we're gonna to read and put into perspective. And it's found in Genesis 6, verses 11 to 14. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and it was filled with violence. Some of us can relate to that. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For some of us, that sounds familiar. For flesh had corrupted their ways on the earth, and God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence throughout. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. The reason I read this is notice how God doesn't say, you know, Noah, I found favor with you, so I was going to flood it, but, you know, let's just not, let's pause the flood. It's going to be okay. You see, because in life, the flood will always happen. It's our response to the flood that's important. And like Noah, we need to make sure we build our lives like Noah built the ark so that when the flood comes, we can rise above the situation and the circumstance and the bad news, and we can sail into God's purpose and his future for us. The title, of the, the title is this, it's Rise Above the Flood. 
We need to be above the flood in our lives. And we're going to take a look at the life of Noah and see what principles we can apply in our own life so that we can rise above the flood and situations. Is that good? Are we ready for the first point? Notice that the first point is this. It says it's that it requires a relationship with God. If we want to build a life that rises above the flood, we need to, we need to have relationship with God. Now, when it comes to relationship with God, you're like, well, what does it have to do with building an ark? Look at how the story of Noah actually starts. It's going to come up on the screens in Genesis 6, verse 8. It says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was just a man, perfect in his generation. Noah walked with God. Now, you see, walked with God seems like a weird thing because it's not something that we get to do. But when you understand that this Christian journey, we're not called to be Christians. Did you know that? God said, I've called you to be Christians. He says, I've called you this so that you might make disciples and be disciples. And if you look at the discipleship journey that the 12 disciples took, they spent a lot of time with Jesus. Jesus would perform miracles. He would heal people. He'd help people. He'd preach. He'd teach. Um, but you know what he did for the majority of the time with the disciples? He walked. Because when you read the Bible, what we don't read is the in-between. It just says that, you know, Jesus was at Galilee and then this town and that town. What we don't realize was they didn't have an Uber. Jesus wasn't like, okay, come on, guys. I'm just calling the Uber van, Uber van, obviously. We can split it. And everyone's like, okay, cool, we'll split it. And the Judas is like, why split it, Jesus? <laughs> Told you if that woman didn't pour that nod on you, we would have been fine. Okay? Could have been on an Uber black. And as you read through Scripture, you realize that Jesus would walk with his disciples regularly. And what that means is when Jesus walked with his disciples, he wasn't just inputting into them, but he was building a relationship with them. And if we want to build a life like how God required Noah to build the ark is we need to have a relationship with God. The reason I say we have to have a relationship with God is because you don't have faith without a relationship. Think about any relationship that you have. The person that you're the closest to in the world. You're the closest to them because of the relationship you have with them. And because of your relationship, you trust them. It's the same with God. So often we don't trust God because we haven't developed a relationship with Him. So often like, Chris, well, how do you develop a relationship with God? He's kind of far away. No, He's not. He's right next to you all the time. In fact, if you were to open up the Bible, He speaks through His Word. You see, a walk with God is not coming to church on a Sunday. That's only part of it. But it's about what we do on a Monday through Friday. I mean, Monday through Sunday. At home, do we pray regularly? Are you reading God's word regularly? Or is it just something we do when you run out of time? Because when we do that, we develop faith. In Hebrews 11 verse 7, it says this about Noah. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. Can you see how it starts with grace, with a relationship with God? It develops faith in our life so that we can begin to build the ark. If we want to build our lives that are flood-proof, it requires faith and a relationship with God. You ready for the second point? The second point is a really fun one. It's this. It requires obedience. Something like, oh, no. If we want to build a life that is flood-proof, we need to, it requires obedience. Notice after Noah gets the instructions to build the ark, okay, the Bible says this about him in Genesis. It says, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Sorry, what did he do? He did all, not some. The Bible doesn't say Noah did whatever he could do on a Sunday for God. 
The Bible didn't say, hey, Noah did what he could when it was convenient for him, when he had some spare time, when he wasn't too busy with work or with his. It says Noah did all that God required of him. I hope that God can say the same for you and I. If there was a book written about our life, would it just say that? That would be the best subheading ever. Chris did all that God required from him. In marriage, do we do all that God requires of us? In our businesses, in, how, in, our, in the working world, do we do all that God requires from us or do we cave in to the flood? We need to make sure that we are living a life that, requires, that does all of what God requires. When you read that, we often think, man, this is like a bit of a boasting. Like, like Noah was like, okay, well, I did all that God required of me. Actually, he was just stating a fact because partial obedience is still disobedience. We need to make sure that we live a life that is obedient to God. Even when he got the instructions for the, for the ark, the Bible doesn't say that Noah got the instructions and then he went to go, you know, he joined an online forum, boatbuilders.com. He didn't go follow like, 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 like the, the like hashtag boat building on Instagram, didn't Google the answer, he didn't go ask anybody, he just started doing exactly what God required of him. You see, if we need to be obedient, we need to do exactly what God requires of us. Because Noah could have quite easily got what God said, but done nothing with it. And in our lives, you need to make sure that we, it's not just knowing God's word, but it's acting on God's word. That's why Jesus, speaking about a flood uh, in the parable, gives us the story of the wise man and the foolish man. Anybody who's been to Sunday school knows that song. The wise man builds his house upon the rock. And it all came, I don't know actually, you know the words. <laughs> it all came tumbling down. Something like that. It didn't end well for him. So I used to think that story, when Jesus was referring to it, the wise man was the man who knew God's word. And the foolish man was the man who didn't know God's word. That's why he built his house on the sand. Until I read it the other day and I realized I was wrong. You see, when you read the, story, when you read the parable, Jesus tells you that the wise man is the man who knows God's word and puts into action what he hears. But this is what it says about the foolish man. And everyone who hears these words of mine, this is Jesus speaking, and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And, when, and, the, and the rain fell and the flood came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Notice in that story, it wasn't that he didn't know the word of God, it's that he didn't apply it. The question I have for you and I is, are we applying what we know about God's word? We hear great messages on this platform every Sunday from Pastor Andre, do we apply it? When it's speaking about our finances, when it comes, when it's speaking about being shrink-proof, do we apply what we know? Do we apply what we read, or is it just information in the tank? You know, the one thing that I've that I pay attention to are diets, right? I'm glad nobody laughed at that. <laughs> and I've noticed with diets, they change all the time. Have you? Now, if you're on a diet, I mean no disrespect. But have you noticed how at one point it was, no, 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 low-carb diet. And then it was a low-fat diet. And then it was a high-fat diet. And then it was a no-carb, then a low-carb. Then it was like, stay away from certain carbs. Then there was intermittent fasting, that's a thing. Then there was banting and paleo and vegan and pegan and this and then that. And the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. There's even a chocolate cake diet. Some of you like, I'll sign me up. And there's all these diets that give you all these things, like, like the one diet, you know, you need to stop eating at six because somehow your body knows that it's six. <laughs> Do you ever think that one through? Like, really, like. But if you look at every single diet, in order for it to be effective, there's one principle that you need, two principles. One, you need to be disciplined enough to do it. Anybody struggle with that? But the other thing is this, it's called calorie deficit. 
Calorie deficit is this, it's you need to eat less than you burn. Because if you eat less calories than you use, then you would become in shape and you would become more balanced and healthier as an individual, right? How often do we not apply those principles to our spiritual life? So often we have input, 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 but we don't have an outlet to use it. And we become unbalanced and God can't use us because we know everything but apply nothing. Instead, we should be Christians who apply everything and keep getting filled up daily, week in, week out, day in, day out. We should never live life in deficit. We should always live life according to God's purposes. You know, point number three is gonna sound really, really simple, but it's this, it requires trust. Now, bear with me for a second. When I say it requires trust, like, yes, obviously it requires trust. He had to build an ark. He, he, he kind of paused his life. Remember, it took Noah 100 years to build the ark. That's a lifetime. Now, what you may not know about that story is if you read Genesis, the Bible tells us that it hadn't rained yet. There's no mention of rain before that in the Bible. So God comes to Noah and says, no, I need you to build an ark. I'm gonna flood the earth. Noah goes, God, what's a flood? What is it gonna rise up? It's gonna rain from the clouds, it's going to be great. Noah's like, cool, what's rain? Water's going to, okay, the, cool. And Noah gets an understanding of it, and he begins to build the ark. Now, Noah would have been enthusiastic in week one, in week two, maybe month one. But what about five years in? Six years in, 10 years in, 50 years in, because he's building, and there's still no rain. And can you imagine, you see, now Noah's building an ark. It's not like a shed project that nobody's going to see. People will walk past Noah's house and like, that's a lot of wood, dude. What are you building? I'm building an ark. No, you're a bit far from the sea to build a big boat. You know, God told me that he, he's going to flood, flood the earth. Oh, he's going to flood the earth. No, what's a flood? So the water's going to rise up and it's going to cover the... No, what water? No, no, no. God's going to make it rain. Noah, what's rain? So the, the sky, the water's gonna fall and then it's gonna fill the earth. Okay, two chains, I, you know, make it rain. You got it. And I, Noah's building and he's building. And can you imagine how the further into the project he got, the more people would criticize him? Oh, it's gonna rain, Noah, it's been like 60 years. The sky doesn't look like it's going to crack and leak anytime soon. No, you're still waiting for a terrain. It's like waiting for Kanye West's new album. It's not coming, bro. <laughs> Jesus is king. So. <laughs> if you didn't get that, you can ask someone later. So. Now, can you imagine how Noah felt? And each week, somebody would say something. Noah, is it really going to rain? Noah, do you really need to build this ark? Noah, is it really worth being that righteous? Noah, did God really create the world in seven days? Noah, do you really need to be at church every single Sunday? Noah, do you really think that it's, it's not okay to have sex before marriage? Times are changing. Noah, do you really think it's important to tithe? Noah, do you really think it's important to commit everything to God? I'm not talking about Noah anymore. Many of us can relate to this. And as we go through life and we're trying to trust God, there are circumstances that come against us week in and week out and it will put us off. 
but we need to remain faithful and trust God because Noah trusted God before the ark, but if you look at the structure of the ark, it required trust when it rained. In fact, before we look at the structure of the ark, can we just speak about the principle of structure? Notice that when God gave Noah the design for the ark, he said there's level one, level two, level three. There's separate rooms because God understood that you cannot put a lion and a giraffe next to each other. One of them is not gonna make it. It's not the lion. You see, but we serve a God of structure and order. And isn't it interesting that the family structure is being attacked? Isn't it interesting that as we drive around on the roads, we see that there's less and less order that happens? You see, law and order, structure is what God uses, and yet it keeps getting attacked. You see, the reason that I'm telling you this is because structure is vitally important. That's why the Bible, God says, you need to put pitch on the inside and the outside. It's like the tar that was on Moses' basket. But notice it wasn't just on the inside, it was on the inside and on the outside. Because God understood that in the storm, what's outside of you should never get on the inside of you because it'll cause you to sink and you won't get to where God needs you to be. Because a lack of structure will sink you. But if you, if you trust God and God's, God's structure, amazing things can happen. Isn't it, in, anyway, going back to the structure of the ark, so we looked at what, how Noah had to trust God before. But when he was actually on the ark, look what it says in Genesis 6.16. It says, make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Now, before we look at the door, I want to look at the roof. Some of you like it's raining, obviously you need, need a roof. Actually, this roof is more like a skylight or a sunroof. Noah's ark had a sunroof. Some of you like, my car doesn't even have a sunroof, must be nice. The reason I'm telling you this is it was the only window that's recorded in the plans for the ark, and it's a skylight. And what that skylight did was the one function was to release all the gases so that they didn't pass out because there were lots of animals there. Remember... This is not the animated version where you don't see the animals did stuff in the ark. God thought it through. The other thing you'll notice about the structure of the ark, it doesn't mention anything about a rudder, a sail, or a motor. So you've got a, you've got a, you've got a ship that's got a skylight, no windscreen, no engine, and no rudder. That seems crazy, but what you've got to understand is that Noah and God understood something that as much as Noah built the ark, he wasn't the captain God was. That's why he didn't need a windscreen, he didn't need a rudder, and he didn't need a sail. And when we understand in our lives, we're just the vessel that God uses. We are not the end goal. We are not the captain. God is. And we build our vessel and we maintain our vessel and we try to remain as sink-proof as possible. But we need to trust that God is the captain. How do I know that, that Noah trusted that God is the captain? Because from that other, other verse in Genesis 7, it says this, and the Lord shut him in. Remember that door on the side? That was the only entry point for the ark. And when the flood happened, it would have submerged the door, which means that nobody could have got out the ark, which means that Noah was shut in the ark. The reason I'm telling you this is that it wasn't because God was trying to control Noah. It's that Noah and God understood something else, was that the safest place to be in the middle of a flood was in the ark. You see, the ark is not just a picture of our lives, but it's also a picture of the church. And when we come into church and we submerge ourselves in all that God wants us, we become shut in, not so that we could be controlled, but so that we can remain safe. That's why I can't handle it when people say, you know, I, so-and-so, you know, they fell away from God and they backstood. Do you understand that there's only one way in and one way out? You didn't slide out the back door, you jumped over the ship. 
And when the flood happens, we can't afford to jump over the ship because you're trying to look around. We need to like Noah, only look through the skylight and look heavenwards for our direction, look heavenwards for our hope, look heavenwards for the direction that we need to go in our life because that's how God's created it to be. And when we do that, look what happens in Genesis 8. It says at the end of 150 days, can I just pause? It didn't rain for 40 days, 40 nights, and Noah got out the ark. It rained for 40 days and 40 nights, but Noah spent over a year in the ark, or about a year in the ark. Because at the end of 150 days, the waters had abated, and, and in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. Where did the, where did the ark come to rest? Mountains. So Noah started, and he built the ark, and the flood level raised the ark. And all of a sudden, he ends up on a mountain. Don't ever forget that God uses floods to elevate us in life. You see, Noah would have never got to that point if he had stayed down in the valley. You see, the definition of a flood is an overflow of a large amount of water beyond its normal limits, especially over what is normally dry land. So often we try to go over dry land, and God's like, on dry land, you'll only get this far. But if you would build your life the way that I have commanded you to build it, if you would be obedient, develop a relationship with me, if you would just trust me in the storm, it gets crazy, it gets, it gets messy, it seems like there's no end in sight, but when the country seems like it's flooding, God is lifting me up. When my marriage seems like it's flooding, God is lifting me up. When my finances are flooding, and I don't mean money's coming in, God is just lifting me up. And when we have that perspective, what we understand is God's not leaving us who we are, but he's constantly lifting us up. So if we were to create a life that is sink-proof, we would be able to float up, and before you know it, we'll be standing on the mountaintop. And what interests me about Noah is what he did when he was on the mountaintop. Now, before I read to you what he did, let's remember, Noah spent a year on the ark. There was no outside area. There was no little lifeboats for his own little quiet time. And he was on the ark with some stinky animals. They agree. <laughs> and his family. Now, I love my family. Let me just... I'm sure you love your family. And as big as the ark was, like 137 meters, it's not big enough. Let's be honest. Well, I mean, let's real talk. For a whole year, you were stuck on the same ark with your family and some smelly animals. How romantic can date night be? We're on the second level today. Woo. Hey, babe, sorry, I was going to, I booked a table, but then we had an incident with a goat, so. I mean, I would have got out the ark and I said, listen, give me 10 minutes. I just need some space. I need to walk around. I just need to, what's the Wi-Fi password? I just need a hashtag, I need to Instagram this. I just need some, Noah did none of that. Genesis 8 says this, that Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Noah's response when he gets to the top of the mountain was to worship. After the flood, he worshiped. And I was reading this and I began to think, which I do sometimes. <laughs> Don't judge me. Where did the birds and the animals come from? You see, the earth was flooded. There was nothing there. So he builds an altar and he sacrifices animals. And then I realized 
He got the animals from on the ark because God actually told him beforehand, pack extra of the clean animals. So Noah had the clean animals on the ark and he sacrificed them when he got to the mountaintop. Do you know what that tells me? That Noah carried his worship with him. So when he was on the ground, he carried his worship. When he was in the middle of the storm, he carried his worship. When it didn't look like there was any hope, he carried his worship. When he was in isolation, he carried his worship. When he was in the valley, he carried his worship. When the mountain was in the way, he carried the worship. Until he was on that mountaintop and he began to worship again. Can I encourage you with something? One of the most important things to make sure that your life is floodproof is to carry worship with you. Don't lose heart, don't lose hope, but continue to worship. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message.